You're listening to Berlin Psychoanalytic Podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Jakob Lusensky, offering an overview of the concept of active imagination. Active imagination is a technique that was developed by Jung around 1913, just after his break with Freud. This was a very distressing time for Jung. And he was home, supposedly sitting at his table uh, and feeling very anxious and having a lot of fears that he didn't know what to do with. So he decided to, instead of sort of trying to avoid the fear, to drop into it. So he closed his eyes and looked inside and allowed to come what came. And what happened was that he started to experience an image of himself falling, 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 until he reached some sticky, muddy ground. And in that place, he started to meet people and starting to have conversations. So this later became a technique that Jungians use in order to stimulate a conversation between the conscious part of oneself and the unconscious part. Just as we're following the dreams in the night in order to understand what is going on underneath the surface, active imagination can be a technique, a sort of meditation, where we establish a dialogue with our unconscious. So this technique can be used both in analysis with the therapist. What happens then is that, for example, there might be that the client has had a dream and there's a specific image that's very strong and that's coming back. Let's say it's a, a man with a knife, but the dream doesn't really say much about the man with the knife. So what you do in the, in the process of therapy is that you try to ask the patient to go back to and recall this image. Look at the image and just see what happens. If it starts to move, if it starts a dialogue. So it's what Jung said, you dream the dream forward. And it's fascinating what happens when one starts an unconscious dialogue like that at times. One of the biggest resistances to this work is that it feels a little bit crazy or it feels a bit strange or a bit silly much the same reaction as many people have to dreams when they first come into analysis, that this is just white noise, this is not important. But if one can come over that resistance, one can establish a dialogue to one's unconscious that can help to give different perspectives or different viewpoints of, about what's going on in one's inner life. So this is a technique that also can be used outside of analysis. So the practical steps would be that you, just as when you meditate, you find a quiet space, you try to clear your mind, you close your eyes, and you try to recall that image that might have stayed with you. It might be an image from a dream, but it might also be another type of image or a memory that, you, that somehow haunts you. So you try to then stay and stick with the image, and you wait, and you see if the image starts to move. And often that happens. And then you see, you, know, you can have a dialogue with that image, you can see where it takes you, you follow the image. After this exercise, it can be 5 minutes, it can be 10 minutes, you write down what happened. And this is then a process that you try to repeat. So you can do it one time, two times, many times. Uh, it's an effective technique if you can overcome the resistance. And, and it can help to give different perspectives of what is going on. I think that active imagination is not for everyone. For, for some people it's very easy to, and they have a, a consciousness that produces a lot of images and it's somehow, you know, it comes naturally. It's not a weird thing to dream. It's you remember your dreams. It's easy to stimulate or come in contact with pictures of in the unconscious. 
And many people are not like that, and then it can be a resistance to somehow uh, starting such a dialogue. I think sometimes in therapy it helps because you have already started maybe to have a dialogue with your dreams or starting to write down your dreams. So you start somehow to be humble enough maybe to see that there is something else going on. There is something else that is going on here in my unconscious that I have to listen to and that I have to treat with respect and that I have to see more as an equal. Active imagination is, is, uh, is often met with resistance because it is asking you to be somehow a little bit of a, of a child again, to believe in your fantasy. So it can take time and just as with the traditional meditation, it's really about persistence and repetition. But often if you do this for a period of let's say a week, you try 10 minutes every evening, you can overcome that resistance. But it's a practice. And I, I very much like how, how Jung call it, it, it's dreaming the dream forward. So you can take an image from a dream, but it can also be another image that you then follow and see where it takes you. In Jung's case, it took him to what was lately called the Red Book, which is where he wrote down his active imaginations. And after some years of having practiced this, he had a whole set of characters that he had dialogues with. Well, an active imagination in the clinical practice, uh, it can be helpful in order to, again, to dream the dream forward, to get some information from that character that wasn't in the dream. So if you start a dialogue, for example, with that man with a knife, you can understand, you can ask him, why are you holding a knife? And then you have to listen. So you're not writing the narrative, you're listening to what this character starts to tell you. So as an analyst, this is a very helpful way, as with all dreams, to get information about who are these characters, what do they represent in forms of complexes or conflicts that that individual is struggling with. The crisis between Freud and Jung stimulated also a creativity in Jung. There was, there was a conflict, there was a separation, there was a period where Jung's sort of footing professionally, but also personally, was really threatened by losing this father figure, by losing this close colleague. And, and what was called then from 1913 to 1917, Jung's creative illness or his psychotic break or his uh, uh, confrontation with the unconscious was really a period where his unconscious started to produce very active vision, uh, visions and imagery. Some of this was stimulated through the act of active imagination other was through dreams. But what Jung did very carefully was to write down everything that happened, everything that came to me, all the images, all the dialogues that he had. He felt he was going crazy, but the only way to stop the craziness was somehow to establish a dialogue or take it as real and take this is something important, maybe there is something here. So he started to write down these active imaginations, these dialogues in what was called the black books. I don't know exactly how many, but he wrote down page after page of dialogues with these inner figures. He felt this experience was so important for him and he, he needed somehow to continue the dialogue in a different format. So he also started to paint images. He started to draw the images that he came in contact with in this crisis. This later became compiled into a big red book that was the red book. So it's where he takes the active imaginations, the dialogues and the images and transcribes it into this, uh, into this book. This is a process that he worked with for, I cannot say exactly how long, but, but many, many, many years. And, and uh, 
It wasn't published in his lifetime. It was not supposed to be published, this red book. He was very ambivalent if and how and in what format to publish this. Uh, because there was also, of course, a fear about that people would see him as a bit crazy or as he was often criticized to be a prophet. Uh, so this book came out, you know, about, I think it's about 10 to 15 years ago, first to the market. And what's very interesting with it is that it has really opened up, uh, I would say, a renewed interest in Jung and also the artistic side of Jung and also the, what, what I find striking, you know, the, the value and belief he puts in the unconscious and how much time he spent with it. Not in order to produce some paper or some outwardly success, but because it was deeply meaningful to him. And I think that's also something you learn in analysis, possibly, to take the deeply personal, you know, close to you and, and really spend time with it and really put value on it. It's not a performance, it's not a product, it's a relationship. And it's putting value on something that most people don't put value on, where it's, whether it's a dream or it's imagination or it's fantasy life. So only that attitude of Jung, I think one can learn a lot about, to put value into what the unconscious produces. Thank you for listening. For more content, subscribe to our podcast or find us on our YouTube channel. Psychoanalysis should be free.